morning. Good morning. Wow. Gone a week and I come back and you're all the renegades. I don't know what to think. Yeah, you miss me like a bad headache, right? Yeah. No, it's great to be with you all this morning. And um, last week at this time, I was enjoying the uh, snowfall of northern Alberta shipping cattle. So, uh, yeah. It was warm, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I tell you what I have learned. I think I'm truly now a Texican. My blood is so thin that uh, they had to keep pouring things in an IV to keep me moving. So, no, it's great to be back here where the weather is... uh, It's warm. Let's just say that. Let's just leave it at that, all right? No, so glad to be back with you all this morning. Um, We serve an amazing God. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I'd like to open up with a word of prayer as we begin uh, going into the Word of God this morning as we love to do together as a body of Christ. And let's, let's go to God this morning together. Dear Jesus, Lord, we come to you and we want to thank you, God, for your amazing Word. Lord, I thank you that there is one thing in all creation that stands the test of time, Lord. The truth of your Word, Lord, will endure forever. I thank you, Lord, in a, in a world, God, where nothing is new under the sun, just a constant repetition, Lord, of, of the depravity of man and all the things that we see from the very beginning, God. Your word stands true. And even though we have a culture, God, that is constantly testing the barriers of truth, changing the definition of truth, teaching and trying to make others believe in the truth that there is no absolute truth, God, we have your word today, and for every single one of us, Lord, we have the privilege of going to your word and to read from you, God, this amazing letter of love that you've written to us and for us, that we would know how to live, that we would understand who we are in you, that we would understand our purpose for, our, for even our existence, God. Thank you for your word this morning, and as we look to it, we know that it's absolutely true. We know that we can trust it. We know that it's not popular in our culture. But it's not about popularity, it's about what's right, it's about honoring you, Lord. What a great God you are. What an amazing God you are. So, Lord, for every one of us that are gathered here together, Lord, today, those listening, those watching, God, all of us that have come together, Lord, would you just, by your Spirit, would you speak to our hearts today? Thank you, Lord, that you've taught us what love is, that you've shown us what love is, and that, God, because of Christ and your love for us, we've experienced what love truly is today. Uh, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that's to join us by your Spirit to teach us from your Word and to change our lives, Father. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, Take your Bibles with me this morning, and we're going to be in a couple, just a couple places today. Primarily, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Ephesians chapter 5. I know you about fell out of your seat because we're not in Romans chapter 11. We will be in Romans 11, but um, I felt that it was fitting uh, the next few weeks to spend a little time here in the book of Ephesians. We're also going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 2, but if you want to hold your place in Ephesians chapter 5, let's go there, and and I'm basically going to just, I'm going to read some scripture to you today, and we're going to go through... um, what I believe is, is one of the most important institutions that God has ever ordained. And that is the, 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 the institution of marriage. 
As we're getting close, as my wife remind me, there's something coming up here soon. I need to look on the calendar to find out what that is, but no, you men need to remember this. Valentine's Day is coming up, right? You men need to remember this, that uh, Valentine's is coming up. Yeah, it takes about three or four times. Yeah, right. Um, as we look at, at God's design for marriage these next few weeks, we know that the institutions that God has ordained, there's, there's, there's those that we're going to look at, you know, the, just the sanctity of marriage. What is it? What is it about? Why is it important? The sanctity of life how God has ordained the family, everything that, that we find in our own personal lives as we live. Um, I want to spend a few weeks just going through some of these things, and we're going to look now at God's design for marriage. Now, I realize in, in sharing this this morning that for some of you here, this, this is not something that you are currently living your life in. You're not married, but you're either married or you're not, and you're either going to be or you have been. And so this really is something that can impact every single one of us. And what I have found over and over and over again is that our society and the culture in which we live, by the way, which is nothing new under the sun, we know that, there is definitely a war against marriage. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. We understand that. It's against the principalities and powers of this dark world. It's, it's against Satan, and it's against uh, the onslaught on what God has ordained and what God has designed. And so it should be no surprise to us that the enemy absolutely hates marriage. The question is, why does Satan hate marriage so much? And what I have been absolutely amazed by in all the marriage counseling that I'm privileged to do, the pre-marriage and even after marriage counseling, is to take people through the Word of God and show them and teach them what God says about this incredible gift that He has given us in this institution that is ordained by God called marriage. And what I have found is, is that many, many, many people do not even know or understand that God has taught us in his word some amazing, incredible things. And there's a mystery that Paul is going to share with us in Ephesians chapter 5. How many of you know, if you're married or have been married, that marriage is not always easy? Now, for my wife, she's so blessed, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's got it made, right? Yes, don't talk to her, please, after church. <laughs> Absolutely, marriage is not easy. Uh, it's not easy. Um, and how many of you have figured this out now, if you've been married for a day, that women and men, we're not even in the same universe? We, we don't think the same way. We don't act the same way. Um, we, we are so different in the way that we process things, the way that we communicate, the way that we look at things are just entirely different than one another. And in fact, there's a reason that it's that way. In our society, especially since the 1960s, we've had an onslaught of the feminist movement that has done everything it can do to completely dismantle the beauty of being a woman. The elevation of who you are as a woman designed by God with a unique purpose and a, new, a unique place within God's creation that he created you with an unbelievable purpose within humanity. Feminism, although felt like it was elevating women, in fact what it's done is it's completely decimated the very value of what God has created you as women to be. 
Feminism, on the other hand, has done its part in trying to emasculate and tear down any masculinity within our society. In fact, all of our, of our shows on TV and sitcoms and you name it, society has a war against anything that is masculine. But see, God has so equipped and designed men and women by his own design and his own purpose that he's placed it this way for an absolute reason. And we wonder why our society is in such a disarray. Because we've gotten away from God's plan of how he's designed for everything to be and everything to work. And as we get into the word of God, you're going to be blown away as we go through this study and we begin to learn about God and his plan and his creation and his design. It's absolutely incredible as I share these things with couples and I'm going to share with you all as well the next few weeks. So before we go to Ephesians 5, go back with me to Genesis quickly. Go back to Genesis, the very, very, very beginning. Let's just go back to the beginning. And we're going to learn a few things here that are really very, 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 very incredible. All the way back to Genesis. That's the first, the first book in your Bible there. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in about verse 7. I'm not going to go through the entire creation account, but we're going to begin here with men, where God created man. It says here in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth, of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God created man. What did he do? He took his creation, the earth, the dust of the earth. He scooped up the dust of the earth. He formed and fashioned for himself a man. And God, literally the giver, the sustainer, and the maker of life, he breathed life into the nostrils of man. And man became a living being. And so Adam now, we know was the first man that God created. God makes the garden there, place for Adam to work and serve and have fellowship with God in complete and total Uh, perfect communion with God and so now he gives work for man and he does the rest of creation the animals and the and all the plants and everything that Adam would be doing and working on and then all of a sudden we come down here a little bit further and God says it's not good for man to be alone for all the animals have got male and female and they have a companion they have a helper they have all these things but for Adam there was no helper and so what does God do? He does something here that's incredible. And if you go down to verses, verse 20 in chapter 2, it says this. After Adam names the livestock and so on and so forth, it says, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, I want you to notice something that's very important here. Man was made by God, created in his image, but when God made Adam, he made Adam from the dust of the earth. There was no suitable helper for Adam. So God did something. He takes Adam. He puts him into his, in his sleep. He didn't take from the dust of the earth and make Eve. He didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't do that. What did God do? God actually took something from Adam. And we see the word rib here. 
And you think, well, man, for this word, which is to say law, is used. And over 90% of the times that it is used, it is actually translated the word side. A compartment, a half, a side, a part of. And so what I believe what God has done here is there's Adam created in the image of God. He has no suitable helper. He's having communion with the Father, God, so on and so forth. And God does something. I believe the correct translation here is not necessarily a rib like we have right here. I believe it's something literally a side, a part of Adam. That God took Adam, put Adam asleep, and he removed something from Adam. He took it out of Adam. He removed something. And he now takes what he removed from Adam, from man, and he fashions now for Adam a help meet. Something that would entirely, completely make him complete, who would complement him in every way, form, and fashion. That literally something that Adam had, God took, and he made for himself now someone who would be a perfect helper for him, and he now fashions for himself woman. And I'm sure Adam said, whoa, man, when he saw her. I'm sure of that. And the truth is that Adam has to have Eve. You as men, that's why it's not good for man to be alone. Why is it? Because for us, the way that God has so designed it, God took something, I believe, from Adam that he once had. He fashioned and formed for himself a helpmeet for Adam, and Adam no longer has everything that he once had. It is now also part of who Eve is. That's why in the home, in the makeup of husband and wife, in the way that God has so designed marriage, listen, you don't have a chance that you have everything you need. Your spouse oftentimes has many things that you don't have to make you compliment you. It's impossible. In fact, God's design here is so incredible that without the two coming back together, there is no continuation of life. It says the two became one flesh. That God has so designed even their physiology that when the two of them come back together in the union of marriage, something incredible happens, something deep happens, something spiritual happens, something that is so incredible takes place. It's the deepest part of humanity and something happens. Not only is it moving deep within our spirit and within our soul, it is also the one thing that happens to bring forth life. Can't happen without it can't happen. And when you get married, you start questioning things like, well, man, why in the world is she like this? Or why is my husband like this? Listen, Satan wants to demolish how God has designed the home, the family, the man, and the woman to be. It's what he's after. He wants for the woman to not even begin to understand the incredible, unbelievable makeup of how God designed her and twist it and turn it and to completely destroy God's original design for women. And then men, same way. He wants to destroy and twist and turn what it means to be a man. He wants to do that and he has been very successful, very successful. And so for men and women, we're so different. Listen, there's things about my wife that she has and who she is that I just don't have it. For example, I am not nearly as compassionate, caring, and nurturing as my wife. But that's for a reason. 
God made the family unit so perfectly balanced that we need one another. The feminist movement says what? You don't need a man. No, yes, you do. And man, you don't need a woman. Well, maybe. No, yes, you do. I'm having fun. You know, listen. Yes, you do. On a very, I should keep, absolutely do. My wife thinks on a very, I should keep using her. She gets after me every time I do this. Quit using me as your illustration. (laughs) Women oftentimes tend to think a whole lot more with emotion and feeling. Guys, sorry. We just don't always want to do that. Wow. (laughs) But hold on, let me say this. Did you notice that God didn't remove the brain, okay? Hey. He removed the side, okay? The brain stayed, okay? Anyway, that's a good point. So in the context of marriage and the design of how God made things, and when we get into Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to understand these roles. Let me tell you something. When you start studying the Bible, the Bible's truth does not change because a culture shifts. The problem is that if we shift with our culture, the truth of God will be null and void in our life. God has perfectly designed this institution of marriage. This was not man's idea. This was God's idea. Marriage is totally God's idea. And so you have children and all these different things. If a little boy gets hurt or a little girl gets hurt, my kids didn't come to me when they got hurt. Why? Rub some dirt on it. There's no bone showing. Shut up, you're fine. Quit blubbering, right? No, they don't come to me about once, and that's it. Where do they go? They go to mama. Why do they go to mama? Because mom will put 10 Band-Aids on a tiny little paper cut. I mean, come on. Moms are nurturing. My wife worries about our kids in ways. I'm like, why are you even thinking about that? They just, that's what women do. Women are made in a certain way that it's critical, even in the family of how she nurtures her children, the relationship she builds with her kids, and the building up and the formulation of these tiny little minds and these tiny little lives and what she does. But let me say this, the father has a very critical role within the family. You ask my kids about discipline, they will laugh when it comes to my wife. Why, not because she's no, because my discipline's totally different than hers. And, and when it comes to protecting and all these things we're going to learn about, the wife is not to go downstairs when a robber is inside your house and defend you. The man is so designed and so created that that's what he does. The man is the warrior for the family. In that sense, he is. He is not only the provider, he's the protector. He has a certain place and a certain role that God has equipped him for and holds him accountable to. It's the way it works. It's the way it is. So God took something out of Adam. Sorry, ladies. We don't have certain things you have. It's never going to be that way because God took something and fashioned for man the perfect complement of him. The perfect compliment. And our society has it so skewed today. And Satan has it so twisted today. 
It's so crazy anymore what's going on. People don't want to even begin to acknowledge what they really are anymore. They're so confused. To us, it makes simple sense, but there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. So God does something, and then you listen to what he says in verse 23 of chapter 2. The man said, this is now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. One flesh. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll kind of get started here in this this morning. We won't finish it. <clears throat> Unless you want to be here at supper, and we can still do that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 22. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and it's a truth. The Bible runs in the opposite direction of our culture. It does. We have to abide by the word of God. Why? Because it is truth. And I, have, I counsel couples after couple, after couple, after couple, after couple, after couple. And what you'll find is, is that when we don't do things the way God has written for us to do them, you know what usually happens? It always happens, a wreck, right? So God has given us this book to show us, teach us, since he designed it, since he created it, it's very important. Listen to this. We're going to jump down through here, just follow along. Verse 22 of chapter 5. Wives, hang on to your wife. Hold her down right here. <laughs> Hear me? Put your arm around her. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Listen to this. As Christ is the head of the of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Hold her real tight. Because this isn't as bad as women think it is, but they're going to love this when I get done with it in everything. Hang on, wives, squeeze your husband's leg. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies for he who loves his wife loves himself After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And Paul shares this. This is a profound mystery, Paul says. What I just shared with you, Paul says, it's a mystery. And it's not just, it's a profound mystery, Paul says. But he says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, as we begin to read down through these things, I mean, there's some things in here that just make you brace up at the very, very beginning. What we find here is Paul is sharing with us a mystery. Let me tell you one reason Satan hates marriage so much. Because if Christians understood what their marriage was, and what God was using it also for, they would have a greater understanding of why Satan hates marriage so much. Paul says there's a mystery here, and what he's sharing with us is he's showing us two different roles in two different people. The church, who is the bride, explaining them in light of the body of Christ, the church, who is the bride, and Christ, who is the groom. And Paul says, I want to show you something here that is absolutely incredible. In the economy of God, in his infinite knowledge, and in his sovereignty, God has put together something here that is a picture to a lost and dying world of Christ and his church. And do you know where they see it before they ever see it in a church building? Guess where they see that represented? And guess where they see that lived out? Do you all know where it is? It's in the marriages of Christian men and Christian women. Because God has so ordained this thing that he has placed now a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And what are they doing? The body of Christ is underneath the lordship and the headship of Jesus Christ. And you know how incredible that is. Do you know why we are good and righteous and holy before God? Do you know why that is? Because we are under the headship of Christ we are literally in Christ as Christians. We are in Christ Jesus, and he is the head over the church, and God has so ordained and designed. God is a God of order. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. Why did God design all this? Because it's by his perfect plan and design that he's showing us something as a testimony to the world. Listen to me, Christian. Your marriage is a picture to a lost and dying world of the most amazing thing of all. And that is the story of love, redemption, and not only that, a covenant that would endure for all eternity. See, we have a covenant that we enter into in marriage and I'm not going to go into great detail because we have kids in here. But if you know anything about the physiology of men and women, listen. When the two become one flesh, there is something that happens. A covenant is made, and God even put it within the physiology of woman and man. When they come together, there is the shedding of blood. And guess what that is symbolic of? It is symbolic of a covenant and Jesus Christ himself, on the night before he was crucified, he takes the, the cup after the meal and it's full of wine, and he holds it up to his men. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant which is established in my blood. It is given for you. And so God put with even in the context of marriage a covenant that actually happens. It's incredible. 
that when two people become one flesh, they enter into a covenant, an everlasting covenant, a covenant that is to endure and last for all, for all time. Some of you have been blessed like, like I have to see some couples that have, have lived their entire life uh, dedicated to one another. And it's incredible to me to think, as you look at this couple now, they're way long in years. It's been 55, 60 years, some of them that have been married. Anybody been married 50 years here? Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all wanna know some things. What is incredible to me is this. This covenant that Christ has made with us is an everlasting covenant. It's a covenant that he made with his own blood. It's a covenant that will last for all eternity. It means this, that it's not based upon what I have done or what I, have, what I will do. It's solely based upon what he did that his covenant with me will not change even if I am not exactly what I should be. Does that make sense? God's love for me does not change any more today than it did tomorrow or the day after or 10 days ago. His love for me is the same love it endures forever. It's never gonna change. He doesn't love me more today because I'm preaching the word of God any more than he did last week when we were shipping cattle in Canada. His love for me is the same day in, day out for all eternity. His love is the same. And his promise to me is forever. It's not based on whether or not I finish this thing exactly the way that I, he has already finished this thing. He made a covenant with his own blood. It's gonna stay, he's already provided absolutely everything. And so when I look at a couple that have been married and dedicated to one another, even if it's only been five years, 10 years, it's a, still the dedication is there. But I look at these couples and I think, man, this is the most incredible thing. There's only one person on this planet who knows absolutely, really, who you are. They love you today, 50 years later. Trust me, it wasn't an easy 50 years. It's not an easy one year for my wife. <laughs> but you see a couple, and maybe they didn't even realize they'd done it, but they're a testimony to the world showing the world this covenant, this promise, this commitment that's gonna last throughout their entire marriage. And it wasn't because they were always worthy of it. It wasn't because they didn't mess up. It wasn't because they were always loving like they should be. It wasn't because the wife was always being submissive like she, what she wanted to be. It's because they have committed to stay together through all things they're committed. Committed. It blows my mind to think that I have a wife that will stay with me for my entire life. I didn't even enter my mind that my wife wouldn't do that. And it's not easy to be married to me. You're not married to me. <laughs> I appreciate that. That was a moment we needed some funny, right? But as you go through life and you're for better and for worse, when I married my wife, I didn't even hear the word worse. For richer, oh, I heard that one. There have been a lot of lean days in our marriage. 
for sickness and in health. Whew. We were both healthy. I even looked good. Well, that's what I thought. What about sickness? Forsaking all others. Always being faithful and true as long as we both shall live. Do you know who that's a picture of? My Savior. It's a picture of my Savior. That my wife loves me on my bad days. She tolerates me on those days, but she still loves me. That when I'm old and gray and I'm getting there quickly, and, and I've got nothing else really to offer, my, 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 my golden years aren't so golden. And sitting across the table or at my bedside while I'm dying will be someone who has committed for all her life to love me. See, that is incredible. Only God can give a picture like this to the world. That there's actually someone who's going to stay committed to me for my life. <laughs> it's incredible. And not only will I be with my wife or she be with me on that day, but you know who else is going to be there? My Savior. I'm not going to die there alone. He'll be there. Because of the covenant promise that he made with me, that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. And I know we live in a sinful world, and this is why so many people, even here this morning, you're, you're hurt and you're wounded because you haven't, you've experienced major betrayal. <laughs> and it wasn't what you thought or ever, ever, ever set out that it would be. I understand that. But I want you to know that, that there's a God in heaven that loves you. There's a God in heaven that, that is the God of forgiveness and mercy and grace. There's a God that, that, that will always stick and sustain you. He won't ever leave you or forsake you. And I know this isn't the story of many people today. In fact, in the church, over 50% of the people in the church today, their marriages are ending in divorce. And it's happening. Somebody betrays, someone does this, something happens. But listen, that's not God's original design. That's what happens when Satan gets in the middle of things, and that's what happens when Satan destroys a marriage. That's why we have to protect our marriages. That's why we got to pray for our spouses. That's why we need to understand that there's a war going on here. And I'm telling you, Satan wants to knock you out and take out your marriage, damage your family. He's all about it. That's what he does. Why? Because he hates what marriage is a picture of. And for the world that doesn't know Christ, they're broken, they're, they're, they're just in shambles, they don't know Jesus, they don't understand about this love and this grace and this mercy and forgiveness. They don't even know how to really love one another because they haven't ever experienced the love of God. What we are doing as a church is we're supposed to be saying, hey, our marriage is not perfect by a long shot. My Savior's perfect, but I'm not by a long shot. I want to show you a beautiful picture of the commitment of love over the generation of time. 
And I want you to know the reason that this is happening is because God ordained this from the very beginning that our marriages, this mystery, would be a picture to a world. And when someone says, wow, how in the world have you stayed married for 25 years? It wasn't because it was easy. It was because Jesus Christ has shown us by example what it means to be a man and a husband. That I'm to love my wife in such a way like Christ loves the church, man. That is a type of love that the world knows nothing about. When you think about the love of the world, it's nothing but lust, man. It's all about sex and sex and this and that. And tell you what, that's only going to be a part of what's important for about, well, for men, most all of it. But but it's not going to be the major theme of your marriage. Because that honeymoon stage will come to an end. It's about showing the world now as a Christian marriage this covenant that God has made to us through Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about marriage. I'm already running out and I didn't even get to get into this and we'll go into it next week. But I am very mindful this morning that there are many people here because we live in such a broken world. And you're here this morning, you say, John, you know what? I hate this message this morning. I hate it. Because right now, my life is terrible. And I'm the one going through this pain right now. And I'm sorry that you are. But there's a God that loves you. There's a God that will sustain you. There's a God that will never give up on you. And there's a God that forgives. And this morning you're saying, John, I'm not about to forgive that person. You kidding me? I'm not doing it. If you have experienced the forgiveness of God you'll understand why you need to forgive the other person. It doesn't absolve them of what they've done. It doesn't restore a marriage. It doesn't make it right. It's not what it's doing. It's about you and about setting you free and about helping you move forward living for Christ. That's what it's about. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, I'm the one that caused it. And John, I hate this message this morning because I did it. Listen, God loves you. There is forgiveness at the cross of Calvary. It'll be washed away and wiped away. God's mercies are new every day. God still has a purpose and plan for your life. God wants to take you and use you and mold you and make you like him and show you his amazing love in order that you can experience his love so that you one day can love someone else the way that he loves you. If you're here this morning and you're broken, you've experienced this recently, maybe in the last five, 10 years. I have a lot of people I love here and friends here that I know today are single because of a tragic marriage or whatever it could be. And you say, John, this is not something I want to hear. Maybe God's getting you prepared. Maybe you're going to have a season in your life where you're going to be with someone. This will be beneficial to you. For those of us that are married, oh man, we have messed up sort of a lot. When we begin to understand this about how we love and wives, what your role is, it's going to change your marriage. Maybe you're here, husband. Maybe you're here, wife, and you need to forgive one another. Maybe, sir, you need to ask your wife for forgiveness. I don't know what it is. Ma'am? But I know God wants to heal you. and God wants to heal your marriage. And God wants to restore you. And he's the God of reconciliation. That's what he is. He's a redeeming God. So I didn't 
know how to end this today. I don't even know what God's speaking to you about this morning. I don't even know why God has sent me here to preach this message like this today. This was not my plan. But it's for somebody. Or somebody's. It's for me. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And just ask that you'd search your own heart this morning. And then we'll close. Lord, today we come to you and... Father, I'm very aware this morning of the brokenness we have within our own society. And Lord, I know there's some people here right now that'd like to run out of this building so fast and never come back because they didn't appreciate hearing a message about love and marriage when they've gone through something so horrible. But Lord, I hope they hear your love today. I hope they hear about your restoration, your love, your mercy, your grace, your help. Lord, that they would come to experience and know your love. Father, if they just turn to you, call upon your name, Lord, you'll save them today. Maybe somebody's holding on by a thread and all hope in their marriage is gone here today. God, you're a redeeming God. Maybe there's a husband and wife that need to spend some time this afternoon and just truly forgiving one another. Father, I know that for me, I have a whole lot to work on when it comes to being a husband. I thank you, Lord, that I have a wife that loves me. For each of us men here, we're grateful for that. For every woman here that has a husband that loves them, they're grateful, Lord, today. Father, go with us from this place. I just pray, Lord, that no one leaves here today feeling down, but they've experienced your love today if that's where they're at. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this great gift of your institution of marriage and what it's a picture of to a lost and dying world. So, Lord, we trust you with these things, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, we got some people who want to pray with you in the lodge over there. Thank you for being here. Come back again next week, and we'll get the rest of this out.